This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Well, it was a decisive rejection. Doctors voted to turn down the proposed new fee agreement with the province with a nearly two-thirds majority. Yes, uh, they didn't all vote, but still, that's a pretty big majority. It's a stunning rebuke to both the Wynn government and the doctor's own leadership, which recommended the deal. So did they do the right thing? Are you worried that it will reflect uh, and will hurt your access to doctor services? I'm all ears. The number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. We want to hear from you. But in the meantime, what's next? What can be done to repair the situation? Ontario's PC leader Patrick Brown says Health Minister Eric Hoskins has to go. He's on the line from Windsor, and he joins me now. Welcome, Patrick. Great to be on your show. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, if if this is a, a matter of uh, the Wynn government's policy, how are we going to solve things, even if Eric Hoskins does take your advice and steps down? Well, the reason that this started on a horrible foot was the beginning of the negotiations, Eric Hoskins decided to uh, run a misinformation campaign and disparaging the, the province's physicians. He leaked salaries that were misleading, that were frankly lies. He included overhead, uh, uh, things like rent, secretaries, assistants, um, telephone, everything it was included in the salaries. And so, uh, you know, if you use that approach, if you include your staff uh, in your salary, the province's highest paid physician is actually Eric Hoskins. And so I don't think you can uh, reach an agreement uh, um, by uh, disparaging your um, those you're trying to negotiate with. I think, I think the other concern was ultimately Eric Hoskins wanted the province's doctors to accept a deal that would have made them ration care to patients to offset uh, liberal waste. And, you know, I, the doctors I spoke to around the province that's against their moral code. Uh, they they went into medicine because they want to care for people, and having them forced, expecting them to accept a deal that would tell them if they have a sick person in their waiting room, a new patient who's not on the roster, they can't take them. Um, you know that's that's just not right. And so, well, they can't know, I, they can't they can take them, but then they have to give the money back. Yeah, which is you know to 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 say that you're going to be penalized to care for people. And, you know, I, I had a, a, a meeting with physicians in Scarborough, which is one of the most culturally diverse parts of Toronto. And physicians were telling me that, you know, you have people who, um, who uh, their dream was to come to Canada, they, they, to become a Canadian citizen. Uh, and once they're a Canadian citizen, what you're saying is that those doctors can't take, you know, one doctor, Douglas Mark, said a third of his practice is new Canadian citizens. And under this, under this model, 
you know, he'd have to turn them all away. And, you know, that's, um, that's not something our province's physicians were prepared to do. They felt bullied by Eric Hoskins. And frankly, when the government has their new pet project, they need $80 million for electric cars. They need $2 billion for the Pan Am Games. They need money for bonuses for the Hydro One execs, for the Pan Am execs, um, or running television ads right now to promote uh, the, the, the CPP. They have no problem finding money. But when it comes to health care, they're saying there's no money for the uh, aging population that's going to need care. There's no money for the for the new Canadian citizens. It's just not appropriate. And I'm glad that our province's physicians stood up to Kathleen Wynne and Eric Hoskins, who were frankly trying to bully them. Well, uh, first of all, you mentioned new Canadians. Never mind new Canadians. You know, old Canadians. Uh, of for instance, my my doctor is already semi-retired, and I'm looking around, and and it is not easy. I keep getting turned down by other doctors because they've reached their cap. They can't take new patients. That's... And with 150,000 new patients in the system each year, there was no funding for those new patients. And so, you know, where it's most egregious is is uh, with an aging population that requires more care. There's no, there's no accommodation for that. And in the GTA in particular, where there's a huge new population growth because of newcomers, they would essentially be refused care. And and that's not how, you know, we, we, we treat people in Canada. And so, um, you know, I, I think there was a number of reasons uh, that this deal was rejected. Uh, hopefully, uh, Kathleen Wynne and Eric Hoskins will go back to the drawing board and understand that uh, um, the approach they took was, was was wrong, and we can start a relationship of respect with our province's physicians. Okay, but, you know, on the other side of it, Patrick, at the end of the day, health care is a huge hunk, and uh, the costs, as you point out, are growing because of the aging population, and and really, it's hard to look at other smaller places to cut. So, for instance, the physician services account for 10% of the provincial budget, and 25% of the healthcare budget. So you can sort of see why that's where they wanted to go to get some savings. I mean, where where would you get that money from? Well, and first of all, the reason they're looking for savings is is to pay for their own scandals, waste, and mismanagement. Um, you know, that's the starting point. They're finding money to, to pay for their own uh, mistakes. But, you know, where we could do a better job in healthcare, uh, that's a very valid question. You know, I look at uh, a few things. One, we spend so much money on administration right now. Rather than spending money on administration, I'd put it into the front lines. I look at these LINs, um, and I ask physicians and nurses if they see any value in them, and, and no one does. You know, I would take all the savings from this bloated administration and put it into the front lines. Maybe instead of running radio ads right now, patting yourselves on the back, saying what a great job you're doing in healthcare, which actually the Auditor General has said breaches our advertising rules, um, you know, I would put that money from radio ads back into into healthcare. Um, you know, to, to to let you know how the healthcare system has shifted under McGinty and Wynn. You know, Jim Wilson, when he was Minister of Health. Uh, in the 90s, told me that the gold standard that you spent on administration was 6%. Well, the Auditor General just came out and said that in home care alone, we're now spending 39%, 39% on administration. Now, um, Patrick, the Auditor General flagged these LINs as an area of waste, and that's, uh, of course, the local uh, administration. But, okay, say you get in the government 
how I mean, it's generally not that easy to just kind of rip up the system. So are you promising that you would get rid of them? How will you get rid of them? What would it cost you to get rid of them? Well, Have we're you... pretty much the only province in Canada that has this additional layer of healthcare bureaucracy. Um, you know, a lot of other provinces sort of have things like regional health authorities. You know, the approach that other provinces have used much more effectively than Ontario, I think, should be uh, considered here. But it's not just savings on administration that we can look at. You know, right now... Um, By the way, have you costed that? Do you know how much you could save on administration? Well, unfortunately, as Auditor General and the Financial Accountability Officer has pointed out, uh, the government is not uh, sharing data. The government is uh, keeping uh, the public in the dark. And so part of the problem is the the, the, the same office that reviews the government spending uh, that the government created uh, is now saying that the government is refusing to share data. And so, you know, uh, you know, we, we, we need to get more details from the government. We're hoping that they'll be transparent and stop uh, um, hiding. But it, but I would say some stats that we do know that we could speak uh with clearly is we know that would save hundreds of millions of dollars, but we can also say uh, that you know, what we're hearing from the hospitals is that the ALC rates uh, are quite often 19 or 20 percent. So what that means? The what? What? What rates? ALC, so alternative level of care. Right. Uh, people waiting in hospitals. Oh right, uh, right. Because because there's no long-term care bed available. There's no home care available, and so. Because the government has underfunded long-term care, we're actually paying three to four times the cost inside the hospital. And so, you know, a lot of the independent oversight has suggested uh, that one of the greatest efficiencies you can make uh, in the healthcare system today is rather than caring for, um, frankly, people that don't need to be in the hospital, inside the hospital, which is the most expensive way to do it, we could care for more people outside of the hospital by actually investing in home care, long-term care. And that's another area. That's that an old story. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's, it's getting worse in Ontario. You know, it, uh, the fact that we are now at 19 or 20 percent, you know, we're, we're reaching record levels now in ALC rates, and that's happened on the watch of this government. And to put that into context, between 1995 and 2003, Ontario built almost 20,000 long-term care beds. Uh, to deal with the population growth. In the last 13 years, we've built uh, roughly 1,000. And so we have not invested in long-term care in this province uh, over the last decade, and we're paying the price for it within our hospitals today. You know, I've gone to some long-term care centers, like the Yihong Center in Scarborough, where the wait for a long-term care bed is five years. Yeah. Five years. Um, Patrick, um, let's just take a call because Paul in Woodstock has been waiting patiently. Hello, Paul. Uh, we're listening. Hello, Libby. It's good to talk to you again. Thank you. I, I do have an opinion on the health care. I, I do believe the doctors are underfunded, uh, like, like your person from Windsor indicated, that when they throw these numbers out, they don't take all of the things into consideration. They have a huge overhead. There's a, a, an emotional attachment to every doctor because everybody's like family. I don't believe the government fairly reflects on what a doctor has to do. There's, there's, there's two areas I believe that if there is waste, which I don't believe there is, should be in health care and education. These are fundamentals of our society. I think we're extremely privileged here to have a health care system. A lot of the world doesn't. And I think it's something that should be protected at all costs. Like, when was the last time the government had a rollback in their wages? I don't think that's ever happened. At least I don't remember it happening. And I'm sure if it did happen, they, they, they'd, they'd want a revolution. Like, 
the doctors have a very difficult job, and I do believe they should be compensated. Any waiting room you go into, you got to wait. As far as penalizing somebody for providing a service, I think that's wrong. If I did a job and my employer refused to pay me, I would have an, uh, an avenue to pursue to get paid. Doctors don't. This is wrong. Any way you want to look at it, they basically are forcing these people to do something and they're not being compensated for it. If I do a job, I expect it to be paid for it. The doctor has a very difficult job to do, and I expect them to be paid for it. They have a huge amount of education, a huge amount of overhead. And from what I've seen in the last few decades, I see doctors have left this province, left this country, and gone someplace else. Okay, Paul. When they talk about a shortage, this is a situation the government has created, and it's only going to get worse. Okay, Paul. Thank you very much for your call. Well, thank you for taking it. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, uh, I know, Patrick Brown, that uh, you don't have uh, much more time to spend with us. Uh, So before we take a break and move on to some of the concerned physicians, uh, what would you like to leave us with in in terms of where we go from here, what has to happen, um, and uh, whether uh, Eric Hoskins' resignation would help that along? I think uh, we're probably at the where we've never had a relationship this poisonous. And if you want to go back to the negotiating table and have a, uh, a negotiation with someone who just spent six months attacking uh, doctors, disparaging them, spreading lies and misinformation, I think it's going to be a difficult uh, starting point. I think it would be better if we had a new Minister of Health. Uh, and frankly, if Kathleen Wynne is going to continue to double down and say that she supports Eric Hoskins, then I think she should ask Eric Hoskins to apologize to the province's physicians for the misinformation campaign, for the lies, uh, and say that, you know, we want to have a real negotiation on some of the solutions that are available out there. Uh, and, uh, you know, whether that includes uh, physician assistance, whether that includes prescription uh, abilities for nurse practitioners, whether that is part of a package with binding arbitration. We need a real negotiation. Pa- Patrick, again, I want to ask you something about that, because I think you have said that you would agree to binding arbitration for doctors. Is that right? I, I've said that binding arbitration should be on, on the table, and I think it would be wise for the government uh, uh, to to have it on the table if it's if if the government w- was willing to offer that. Then I know physicians here's, would be willing here's to the offer problem. in return. Here's the problem um, as a precedent, because uh, there was binding arbitration in British Columbia a number of years back. Doctors were awarded uh, the equivalent of a a 20% increase, which was then reversed by legislation because it was a little bit out there. Yeah, and and, and obviously the the terms of reference on that binding arbitration were not, uh, um, uh, I guess, in in tune with with the the province's fiscal mandate. But I would say... Um, that I think the binding arbitration system that we have in Ontario um, for TTC workers, um, for firefighters, for police, uh, is is one that uh, um, is more um, uh, realistic. And, and I, I'd also say, but if the government's going to give in on binding arbitration, I'd also expect the physicians to give in on some of the issues where there's been reticence before on things like uh, prescription ability for nurse practitioners. And so I think there's a little bit of give and take, but you can't have give and take if you don't talk. And right now we have a Minister of Health who's not on talking terms with the province's physicians. And this goes back to having a relationship of respect. 
frankly, if I'm premier, I hope that it never gets to binding arbitration because we're going to have an ongoing dialogue with physicians. Physicians want to make the system work. Physicians want to care for patients, uh, and they have some of the best solutions and the best ideas of how to do that. But if you spend your time attacking them, not listening, not talking, you're never going to arrive at solutions. Okay. Patrick Brown, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Okay. And uh, we hope we do find some solutions going forward. Thanks again. And right now we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back with Dr. David Jacobs, who is with the Concerned Doctors of Ontario. And before we go, the numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-744-740. And we are taking your calls. We want to hear your story. We'll be back after this. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We have been talking about the province's doctors and their rejection of the proposed deal uh, with the province. So did they do the right thing? We want to hear from you. 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-744-740. And now on the line, I have Dr. David Jacobs. He is with the Concerned Doctors of Ontario, and they are the group that uh, was pushing for this rejection that did not accept the recommendation of their own body, the Ontario Medical Association, to accept the deal. The deal. Dr. Jacobs, welcome. Thank you very much. What's your reaction to the result of this vote? Well, uh, I'm actually quite relieved uh, by the result. Uh, we, were, um, we were facing a very, very dangerous situation for uh, Ontario's patients. Uh, what you heard uh, on uh, Sunday, if you were at the general meeting or if you tuned in over the webcast, is, uh, are a lot of frontline physicians who are coming up to the uh, microphone and expressing their concern about the state of the healthcare system. What this uh, physician services agreement would have done is it would have guaranteed another four years of chronic underfunding of the healthcare system. And, uh, you know, most people don't realize how bad the situation is because most people in Ontario enjoy good health. But when you get sick, that's when you realize, oh my God, there's a problem here. Is the problem, I mean, I think that there are problems in some areas and not in others. Um, is the biggest problem, from your point of view, that business of the hard cap, where if you get to this hard cap, um, things aren't funded? Well, no, I don't think, I, I, I think that uh, problems in some areas and not in others, no. I think uh, if you're a frontline medical worker, you realize that there are problems everywhere. We, uh, we had uh, huge clawbacks over the last few years, uh, huge cuts to the physician services budget. And you didn't hear a lot from physicians because we thought, okay, we can cover this, we can tighten our belts, we can uh, you know, cut uh, here, there, wherever. Uh, but I, I, I disagree with your premise that there are problems some, some places and not elsewhere. Oh, there, are where, where, there, there are some things that... There are some areas uh, that seem to function quite well, uh, especially in big cities like uh, cancer tell, treatment. Tell, tell, tell me some of the areas that you think are functioning well. Cancer treatment. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. 
explain to me how people are dying on the wait list for stem cells transplants. Those well, are treatments for cancer. These are people who are waiting to get therapy for malignancies. That's why they're on the list for stem cell transplants. I vehemently challenge you on, on your, on your uh, statement that cancer care is working. People, but people, people are getting their surgery Libby. on time, no, uh, chemotherapy. Libby. No, they're not, Libby. People are waiting for nine weeks at some of our cancer hospitals for follow-up, for follow-up uh, imaging. Nine weeks. The standard should be two weeks. So I understand that as recently as four years ago, things were going along in a reasonably good fashion, but the wheels have come off of the bus, and we're having real problems keeping up with our patients' needs. And I, so I'd like to agree with you. I'd love to agree with you. And uh, I'm not disagreeing ago, with you. I'm just saying that it, that not everything is bad, but there are definitely problems in the system. Um, so what are you going to do next? First of all, uh, uh, the head of the Ontario Medical Association has said she won't step down. Is, is that acceptable to you that that uh, the current leadership that advocated this agreement that was turned down, that they go back to the table? Is that a, a good thing? I think that um, renewal is always a good thing. And I think that when you've come out and you've, you've done your honest best and uh, the people that you represent have said, you know what, we disagree with your path, I think at that point it's time to have a lot of introspection and it's a time for renewal. Okay, and so you want her out? I, I, I want her to uh, step down. I think that that would be uh, the honorable thing to do. Uh, Dr. Scott Wooder, who I have a lot of respect for, uh, and this was uh, very much his brainchild. He saw that the that it was rejected handily by the uh, by the membership, and as such, he said, uh, "I'm stepping down." And I think that the people who have um, invested so much in this uh, and truly believe that this was a path to follow need to now say, "Okay, well, this was my vision. It didn't work. Now it's time to." step aside and allow people with new vision to come in. And do you think Eric Hoskins has to step down? I think Eric Hoskins has been um, a large part of the problem that we've been having in healthcare in Ontario. And uh, I think that had there been another, pre- uh, another health minister in power, I wonder if the same people who came up with the physician services agreement wouldn't have come up with something that was more palatable to the physicians and patients of Ontario, something that would have fully funded health care. So uh, I don't want to jump in and call for a politician's resignation. Uh, I can talk about my own association because I'm directly involved in uh, electing them. But when it comes to calling for a politician's uh, resignation, I, I, I choose to just step back. What I would certainly like to see is a change in his uh, interaction with the physicians of Ontario. Okay, um, hang on a sec. Uh, let's take a call from Siva in Toronto. Hi, Siva. Hello, Libby. Thanks for taking my call. We're listening. I, I agree with the doctors. They work so hard. And, you know... I see a lot of the CEOs in the hospital are making a fortune. They're not doctors, most of them, and you don't even know what their qualifications are. So I agree with the doctors. 
Okay. And uh, you think that uh, um, Dr. Jacobs, I think what Siva is saying is that she thinks the cuts should come from administration. Is is that what your group believes? Well, so I think that, uh, I, I, first of all, thank you very much for the support. We, we, we uh, Physicians appreciate any support that we get and all support that we get from the public. And we really are there to serve the public. Uh, with regards to uh, administration, I think everyone needs to consider where we, where we stand in terms of volume of administration. We have for every frontline position, we have 10 times the number of administrators as we have in Germany. And Germany has better health outcomes than we do. So we have 10 times the administration. With Bill 210, the number of administrators is going to skyrocket. What's uh, Bill 210? Explain so it. So Bill 210 is basically uh, a bill that will allow central control by the government of all family physician services. It's going to allow more oversight. It's going to allow uh, spot checks, spot audits. If a family physician wants to take a visit, uh, a vacation, they'll have to phone a central registry to let them know that they're going on vacation. They'll have to submit the hours of their clinic. It, you know, it sounds like it might be a good idea, but we know for a fact that the government has that the increased bureaucracy just results in further mismanagement and further cost. So I don't see any, so we as physicians see little to no benefit uh, uh, to Bill 210, and we see a potential explosion in what is already a huge amount of bureaucracy. Uh, and then when you look at the LINs, the LINs, no one's even quite sure what the LINs have been doing. <laughs> yeah, and, you're right about that. And, and yet, they're about to give birth to sub-LINs, and I guarantee <laughs> you the sublins will divide and become sub-sublins. And these are tens of millions of dollars. I think we we need to prescribe lin control. We do. We do. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we let's... We have to practice safe lin. Exactly. Safe lin. Um, we have a few callers waiting, so let's go to Maureen. Um, hi, Maureen. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? We're, we're listening to you. What's your story? Um, well, I was diagnosed with breast cancer for the second time. Sorry to hear in, that. Yeah, in December of last year, and everything was test weight, test weight, including surgery. And even though I was known at the Jurevinsky Hospital from my previous cancer, my surgery to have a mastectomy was going to be six to eight weeks. That that and, is that is longer than the prescribed wait time. I know I, that for sure. And even the surgeon apologized and said, I know that's too long. So because I've navigated the system, I basically went back to my family doctor, saw a surgeon in Guelph, and had surgery within days. Good for you. That, yeah, you know, that's... You that's know the system. That's, you know, that's that's one thing uh, that um, really makes a difference, and good for you for being able to navigate the system, but not yeah. everyone can. No, and also now I'm waiting for genetic counseling, so my surgery and diagnosis was in January, and my appointment is the 21st of August. For genetic counseling? I know that, yeah. that that definitely is an area where it takes a long time. Yeah, but everything was so much longer to wait than you would expect. You know, two to three weeks to wait for the core biopsy, then get results, then wait for the next step. And that waiting is horrific. It's just so stressful. And... Um, even like I said, even though I was in the system, I've had cancer before. It didn't seem to 
to change the situation, but uh, you do. You have to know how to navigate and push and make calls and... Uh, most people can't do that. Most people can't do that. There are a number of centers that have these rapid diagnosis, especially for breast cancer. Uh, in London, they have them here in Toronto. Were you not able to access those? Well, Jurevinsky was supposed to be that too, and that's where I went, and it was that long to wait, which I just, like as you said, I they do have a breast cancer center there, and still, even with my history, it was going to be that long to wait. So, sorry to hear that, Dr. Jacobs. Do you have anything you want to uh, add? Well, so I, again, I I I, I um, am troubled by that. Um, I am a radiologist. I do the breast biopsies. I do the mammography. I do the breast MRI. And our our my, the center that I work at uh, in Toronto is one of those rapid diagnostic centers uh, where we have the surgeon and the radiologist working a clinic together. Uh, to get through the patients and get them treated uh, in, in, in a uh, timely fashion. But I think what really, what this points to is something that's completely separate from the physician services agreement, but really a symptom of the same problem, which is underfunding of the system. We have the beds available, physical beds available, but we do not have the funding for the nurses to care for the patient in that bed. We have the operating rooms available sitting absolutely vacant but we do not have the funding to pay for the nurses to run to run those rooms we don't have the funding uh, for the staff to clean it we don't have the and, and so and we have the surgeons available to do the surgeries so at the end of the day what we're seeing is a very slow starvation of our healthcare system uh, and patients are ultimately the ones to suffer. So when the physicians of Ontario stood up and said, we're not accepting this physician services agreement, it's because... Okay, we're losing... Oh, I'm sorry. It's because we've seen that there has been uh, an erosion of the system, and we're saying we're done with that. Okay, uh, Dr. Jacobs, uh, we are running out of time uh, because uh, we have to turn to something else now from the politics of, of medicine to an actual uh, practicing doctor. Our house doctor, Zachary Levine, is on the line. So thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we will get back in touch with you to be up to date with what happens next. Well, thank you for giving me the time. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.